Amen. All right, it's good to see everybody today. God is good. I heard the youth say it, so I don't know, adults, you're telling me something. So God is good? All the time. A little better, a little better. I mean, hopefully that's not a reflection of our hearts today, right? God is good? All the time. And all the time? That's better. All right. Well, the past uh, month, we have attended three funerals. And God is revealing something to all of us that is sometimes not too much fun. He's revealing that though he is infinite, we are not. Though we have the possibility to become, right, by accepting Christ into our hearts, by walking the path, by loving God, by picking ourselves up every time we fall, by supporting, encouraging, and loving one another. But he has shown the reality of what life is. And unfortunately, it's temporary. And as much as I would love to stand here today and continue to fellowship with everybody here, for the rest of my life, and for all of an eternity, the fact of the matter is that's not going to happen. Maybe one day in heaven. But I started to think about that, and a lot of times people say, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to see our family. And I feel that's a very human way of thinking about it. Because I feel when we get to heaven, God is going to be so amazing that you're not even going to remember your family. Right? How can you go say hi to this person over here and hi to that person over there? Like, oh, you remember me? We we used to hang out in in our 20s, 30s, 60s, 70s, 90s. When God's presence is before you, I think you're just going to be lost in heaven. You know, and sometimes I think of heaven and I think how boring it's going to be. (laughs) Man, all you do is praise and worship. I mean, that's cool, but God, I need some variety in my life. I need some drama. What television shows you got going on? You know, what kind of games, what kind of sports do you play? Imagine angel football. Man, I don't want to get tackled by one of those guys, right? But that just shows my understanding of the greatness and vastness of God. In my continuous thinking and meditation and wondering kind of what God has in store and what's he doing in my life and having these conversations with him, um, sometimes people call it prayer, but I have, it, I have it with him all the time. It's kind of as I'm walking down and someone does something negative to me, I get angry and then I say, God, what, what am I going to do? You know, um, sometimes I lash out and then say, God, what am I going to do? And I forget to consult with him first before acting or saying something in response to what others are saying to me or doing to me. What, I, what, what happens is I become self-centered. So over time, I've started to get like kind of two faces 
two identities, one that is grounded in hate, one that is nurtured by hate, and another that is nurtured by love. I've been in this war between love and hate, and I've been trying to figure it out. Now, it seems simple enough to say, Richard, you love all the time. Why is this even a question to you? You got to love. But that also shows a little bit of ignorance in that comment. It's not that easy to love. Because if it was, we all would be loving. So I realized that it is actually easier to hate than to love. And so I started thinking about it to say, okay, well, why is it easier for me to hate someone than to love them? Well, I'll be honest with you, it's sometimes a little bit more fun. <laughs> you can tease the person, right? There's more drama involved in hate than love, right? When you watch television shows and when you're talking to your friends, you don't, hey, why do you love that person? No, well, dude, I want to know why you hate this person over here. That's what I want to know. I want to know why. What led you to the situation? What brought it up? Why are those feelings in you? You know, let's talk about it. Let's grab some coffee over it. Let's go to dinner and discuss it. Let's pray about it. Let's fellowship around your hate for this person. You see, hate seems to be more fun because we give it more attention than love. I don't know the last time someone came to me and said, hey, Rich, why do you love Anne? You know, probably at uh, counseling, couples counseling we did before marriage, why do you love Anne? That was a great question. <laughs> Let me figure it out. We are more interested in hating people rather than loving one another. In fact, we dress up hate by saying, you don't really hate them because it's bad. You just really dislike them. Right? I've had conversations with people about that, and they say, man, I hate this guy. I'm like, no, 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 whoa. Hate is bad. God doesn't like hate. You just really don't like them. And I bought into that stereotype. I bought into that understanding. I bought into that explanation of don't hate. It's fine to really dislike. But check this out. The definition of hate, not my definition, but our definition, is to feel intense or passionate dislike for someone or something. To really not like someone. To feel intense and passionate dislike. That is the definition of hate. So if you sitting here in this room really don't like someone, 
something, some law, some politician, some pastors, some preachers, some ministers, some people, some bosses, some co-workers, you actually hate them. Breaking news, right? Doesn't feel good. So I now start to think, what is God's definition of hate in comparison to love? And this is what um, came to mind. I believe God's redefinition is that anything in opposition to unconditional love is hate. See, we as humans have to tag love with something else to explain it more. So we put words like unconditional in front of it. God just says love. But we have to explain it a little bit further because we take things at face value. And what we have done is we have corrupted the word love. Because when I hear a 10-year-old say to their other 10-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you. Come on, man. No, you don't. I don't even know what love is. You spell love, L-U-V. <laughs> Hate is anything in opposition to unconditional love. Why? Because God has said it. Simple as that. I cannot go into a whole sermon as to why God says anything opposite to unconditional love, 100% love, is equivalent to hate. I can't go into that. Why? Because God just said it. He gave us two commands. The first was to love. The second was to love. I mean, repetition. We were born with sin. So I, as I was thinking down this path of saying, Hate versus love. We were, I started thinking, well, God, you know what? I was born with sin. I know how to hate. So how about this, God? What if I work on my hate, but work on my hate for sin? Amazing idea. Why don't I hate what is bad? Why don't I hate what is evil? Why don't I put my energy into hating what is not of you? And at first, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Because I was born with this ability to know how to hate. I was born with this ability of sin. So I'm saying, let me use my sin against my sin, Satan, who's laughing now. But as I started to think about it and pray about it and, and, and lift myself up to say, what an amazing idea, God stopped me. And he started to show me to hate sin is actually fine. I hope we all hate sin. But the issue comes when you start hating the sinner. When you start hating the vessel that is committing the sin. You see, our flesh and sinful nature cannot differentiate between sin and sinner. It cannot. It counts it all as one. So sometimes I'm amazed by Christians who take time out of their day to go to schools, to go on sidewalks, to go to parades, holding up signs saying, God hates homosexuals. God hates immigrants. God hates you. 
It blows my mind, and I start to think, well, don't we believe in the same God? Don't we believe in the same person? Don't we believe in the same morals and values? And as we talk to them, they start to recite Bible verses and scriptures, and they start to put all their energy into hating someone else because they've put their energy into hate rather than love. So they start to not be able to differentiate between sin and sinner. So it clarifies a certain, some things to me. So next time you see someone doing that, you should go up to them and say, why do you hate so much? Why do you hate people so much? Oh, I don't hate, I love them all. What you're doing is of hate. Well, I need to tell them what's wrong with them. Dude, what's wrong with you? Ain't nothing wrong with them. God got them. It's about you. So where, where we assume to be feeding our spirit by sometimes hating what is evil, what we are doing is we are suffocating it by giving more preference to hatred than to love. We are fueling our sinful desire and slowly we begin to play a demon's game. However, God in one sentence has clarified this confusion. And it seems simple now. And it, it, he said, hate the sin, but man, you got to love the sinner. Where I look to practice my hate for sin, God is asking me to actually put more practice in my love for sinners. Now see, when I say sinners, I'm not saying y'all. I'm saying us. Right? So God is saying as much, Richard, as much as you have to love others, not only those who belong to my kingdom, not only those who have accepted me, but also to those who have not, not only love others, you need to also love yourself. Now sometimes we can be the biggest judges of ourselves. And remember, when God says do not judge, he includes yourself. Well, God, you know what? I, I fell. I sinned. I prayed for forgiveness last week. I did it again. I'm not worthy to read your Bible. Satan's saying, yeah, you're not. God, you know what? I don't know why, but I just keep falling, falling into the same old pattern of sin, and I keep running back to whatever holds me down. I'm not worthy of your kingdom. I don't want to follow you. I'm not worthy of you. You're absolutely right. But God's not asking you to be the judge of that. He's asking you, get up, brush yourself off, and continue loving yourself. Don't worry, I will work on the rest. Love grows the spirit and starves the flesh. Love feeds others first whereas the flesh is all about feeding itself. So in order to hate the sin in a manner that is glorifying and pleasing to God, we must first love sinners. We must first love ourselves. We must first love the community that is around us. 
He is asking us to love regardless of the heart, misconceptions, misinterpretations, actions, words, and sins of those around you. We look into 1 Corinthians 13 to start to get an understanding of what love means. This overused word in Scripture, this overused word in our everyday life. We've misdefined it. We've redefined it to not have and hold as much power. The first three verses in 1 Corinthians 13 does not tell you what love is. It tells you the importance of it. It tells you its ranking in the kingdom of God. It tells you what you should be working on more than anything else. It tells you the first step you must take in your faith walk in Christ. Verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, now in the Bible it talks about prophecy being one of the greatest gifts. Right? There's a passage where it lifts out all these gifts, and prophecy is above them all. So if you have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, when the Bible says all, it's not our version of all. It is complete. It is 100%. It is everything. If you know every single mystery in the world, in the kingdom, If you have all knowledge, and if you have all faith, so what? To remove mountains. But you do not have love. You are absolutely nothing. You are worthless. You mean nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, if I sacrifice myself but do not have love, it profits me absolutely nothing. A lot of times we practice our fate. We practice our prayer life. And I'm not saying that's not good. By all means, keep it going. But we rarely practice love. We rarely start to try to understand what God means when he says love. Love me. Like it, love your neighbor. Love yourself. Love your community. Love the people with you. Love everything. Love is your command. So in reading those three verses, what does it tell us? It tells us that love is supreme. It takes precedence above every other gift in God's kingdom. Faith, 
love is better. Healing, love is better. Prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, selflessness, speaking in tongues, love is better. Love is stronger. Love is the only thing you really need to focus on. God says, come up after me, and all the rest will be provided. He says, love me and worry not about anything else. Well, God, I need to have faith. Love me first, and you will have faith. God, I need the wisdom of your word and the knowledge of your Bible so I can go out and convince men and turn hearts and bring you people to your kingdom. He says, don't worry about that. Love me first. Fellowship with me first. Know me first. The rest will be taken care of. In God's kingdom, love is the first and foremost virtue any follower of Christ must have. There are many things we teach in the church, love being one of them, as today's sermon is about love. But truly, I don't believe we can teach love. We can only model it. Because you've got to see love is not the content. Love is the bag. Love is the casing. Love is the title. When you open love up and look inside the bag, those are the contents. So what makes us love? God, what do you mean when you tell us to love? So we can't teach love, but we can teach how to acquire it. We can teach how to be people of love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, the first three words, as you can tell, the rest is not up there. Love is patient. Now, it does go on to say love is kind, and it, go, it keeps going on, keeps going on, but don't worry about that right now. You haven't accomplished number one. So why are you reading ahead when you haven't figured out the first point? Love is patient. In order for you to love, you have to be patient, and I am not patient. You can ask the church leadership. You can ask my wife. You can ask my family. I'm not a patient person. If I'm waiting for someone and 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, I'm probably leaving. I'm not waiting no longer. I'm sorry. And I get a little upset. I get a little angry. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Right? I do the same thing with God. Like if I pray to God, hey, God, I need this. And he says, all right, be patient. No, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to work on it myself, God. Because being patient is not part of this deal. You said pray, and I should get. So I'm praying, and now I should receive, right? God's saying, no, calm down. It's not time. Be patient. I'm not a patient person. Well, the very first thing that love tells us is love is patience. In order for you to really love someone, you need to be a patient human being. You need to be a patient follower of Christ. You need to have patience. So what does it mean 
to be patient. The definition in the dictionary says, it is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And though I like that def definition because it gets us on the right path, I feel God's definition is a little bit different. God's definition is described in Romans 8 and Genesis 29. Romans chapter 8 verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So in order for you to be patient, you need to wait. Genesis 29, 20 says, So Jacob, check this out, this blew my mind, I, I don't get it. So Jacob served seven years. I dated Anne for seven years. That was a long time. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. You see, Jacob was patient. It says, it, it says Jacob served seven years. What you could say is Jacob waited patiently to get Rachel. Time was not a factor to him. And it said it only seemed like a few days, like a week, because of his love. For her, because of how much he loved her, he had no problem waiting. There have been many times where, when I was in youth ministry, youth would come up to me, kids would come up to me and say, Hey, Rich, man, I really love this person. They're 18, but I'm only 14, or I'm only 13, or I'm only 16, but they love me too. I'm like, Man, all right, well, I don't know, this is a hard situation, because do I tell the parents or do I not? Anyway, leaving that aside, I start to look at them and I say, look, if you really love them and they really love you, that's all good. You can wait patiently for it, because love will not disappear. So I, I would tell the kids, wait. Wait till you hit 18. Wait till you hit 19. Wait till it's okay by at least the legal standard, Right? And some of them would, and it would work out. Some of them would still wait, and it wouldn't work out. And I'd say, good, good thing it didn't work out. That means you really didn't love them. Right? So waiting patiently is a part of learning how to love. Patience is an understanding of God's perfect time and your unconditional service to his people outside of your own personal interests. Patience is self-sacrificing of one's own thoughts, perceptions, emotions, time constraints, and feelings. Patience is always being cool in the midst of heat, in the midst of worry, in the midst of concern. Patience means to wait in a manner where your righteousness is not threatened. Patience means to endure and persevere through tough times. Patience is to not put your timing before God's. 
It's learning to wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is a foundational step to knowing how to love. Because you begin to put His plans in front of your own. And like it, to put your plans behind the plans of those you love. Love means to be patient. And patience means to always be in second place. To always wait. To always hold back. To always see what is better for the next. To always put God first. This congregation, as we meet at church, you need to understand that church is only an appetizer to God's buffet. It's the huddle before the game. It's the introduction to your week. It's your starting point to get moving and pointed in the right direction. Love is not an emotion. It is not a title. It is not a crown. It is not a position. Love is something that you must work on having. Experienced veterans in marriage will tell you that. The emotion of love will disappear. But the work is constant and consistent. If you can fall into something, you can fall out of it. So never fall in love. Just love. To say you love means to have the entire collection of 1 Corinthians 13 under your belt and in your everyday interactions. Grow in patience and you will grow in love. This message today was to start you off on what it means to love. It's to give you an opportunity to see that patience is step one. But the rest of the chapter goes into more. It's your job, your duty to go back home and figure it out. It's your duty to spend time with God and go into his word and say, God, what else about love? What else about patience? What else about kindness? God, I do not want to be a clanging cymbal. As a matter of fact, I hate the drums. I wish Richard and Elliot would stop playing. It's too loud. Well, imagine every time you speak, that's all people hear. It's terrible. It's your duty to go home and uncover what it means to love. So when you say to your spouse, to your friend, to your family, I love you. I love you with all my heart. What are you saying? Because if they ask you why, it's as simple as you being able to recite 1 Corinthians 13 and say, this is why I love you. As we enter a time of response, I'm not going to challenge you to love, because as you can see, love is a journey. 
But I am going to challenge you to grow in love. I am going to challenge you to be patient this week. In everything. To wait on the Lord and to put His and everyone else's needs before your own. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Wait on the Lord this week. Be patient in love this week. Amen.